we have been and we're continuing to be in the gospel of John. Sermon is over. Thank you. The gospel of John. This is our 14th week in this series. You guys are doing tremendously well. Keep up the good work. Uh, Make sure to stay limber and pace yourself because there's lots more still to come. But it's been really good so far. And we're at the point in this gospel of John now, we're about to kind of spill over from one section to another. You can kind of look at the gospel of John in four different sections. One of them is from chapter one through six. It's kind of like the clues, clues that Jesus is someone that we ought to pay attention to. A lot of the content in John one through six is Jesus does signs and wonders and miracles, and that's supposed to get our attention. Oh, he's powerful. He's influential. He's someone we need to listen to and pay attention to here. The second section is from John six and a half-ish to John 12, and it's sort of about different claims Jesus is making. You'll notice in the first bit that we've done so far, Jesus doesn't like do a tremendous amount of talking. He does some. But in the second section from John 6 to 12, he does a lot of talking. He's sort of making some claims. I am this, I am that, backing up the powerful signs that he's done to give evidence of I am who I say that I am. The third section, I kind of call it the close up. It's from John 13 to 17. And that's where Jesus gets in with his disciples, his closest friends. And they have a really intimate, deep conversation. And God just has stuff about his heart for us and his love for us in there. That's going to be really, really good. And the last section is from John 18 to 21. It's about the cross and the aftermath of the cross. The reason I say all of that to you is we're right on the edge of section one and two. We're about to get into a long section of Jesus making claims about himself, and it's a lot of fights with religious people in there. That's going to be really fun, honestly, but we're not quite there yet. We're in John 6, verse 16 this morning, so grab your Bible and turn there now. John 6, 16, and we're going to read today just a short bit of text. It's only six verses, I think, five or six, and it talks about a famous miracle that Jesus performed. You guys will know it right away when we see it. So let's read this together. John 6, uh, 16 to 21. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. How many of you, you would also be frightened? I probably would be. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So that's a pretty famous account of Jesus walking on the the water. Actually, it was the sea, you were wrong. Just kidding. Yes, walking on the water. And I wanna just talk about kind of the miracles in that text. If you can put that scripture back up there, there's actually two miracles that happen in this text. One of them kind of gets all the publicity. That's the walking on the sea in verse 19. But look at verse 21. They were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Sometimes I don't really remember about that one or I don't think of it, but they teleported. I'm not even kidding. They teleported. That's like, to me, at least as cool as walking on the water. 
I'm like, I got a long trip to work every morning. I'd love to be able to teleport. That really just ministers to me. And you know what? This section of scripture right here is one that skeptics and doubters and critics of God and the Bible, they really like to pick on this section of scripture. This is a kind of a favorite one. They think they have a field day with this one because they look at some of these things and they say, walking on the water, no, no, no way. It's not possible. And I would agree. I would say, yeah, it's, it, it isn't possible. That's kind of the point. I did some research on walking on the water last week and allegedly it would be possible for humans to do this if, this is a large if, if you could run 108 kilometers an hour. That would allow for the physics to work all out and you could run on top of the water. I mean this not as insultingly as it will sound. Some of you guys won't even drive 108 kilometers. So to run 108 kilometers an hour, that's literally three times as fast as Usain Bolt can run. It was the fastest man in the world. So people say, it's not possible. Nope, never happened. I read another theory this week. I hadn't heard this one before. There's a theory out there that says Jesus could only do this because there was actually a thin layer of ice on the water. That was somewhere in that scripture, right? The thin, lost in the Greek or something. They say, allegedly, in this period, a couple thousand years ago, this region was in like a period of cooling unnaturally and it would be colder at night and so a little thin skiff of ice would have formed. So Jesus was walking on that, but it was so thin that the disciples in the boat couldn't tell that it was ice. They just thought it was water, Right? And the, well, yeah, the wind was blowing. I was just going to say, we could poke holes in that theory all day long. The wind was blowing. The waves were going. I'm like, it was small enough that they couldn't tell it was ice, but he could stay on it. It wouldn't break. And they were rowing through it. Anyway, we could just have a field day with that one. I don't think that's quite how it happened. Then there's the other one about the teleporting. And I don't know about you, I don't really hear a lot of people poking fun at the teleporting one or calling that one into question. I, I have the impression people think that one's just so crazy they don't even have to deal with that because it, it clearly couldn't be true. Let's just go back to picking on the walking on water and the ice. Many people will have arguments like that. They'll say, look, the science just isn't there. How many of you have heard arguments against the Bible because of science? Of course you have. They say the science isn't there. We can't reason it away by some formula. We can't rationalize it away with our minds. So it must not be true. In fact, it calls into question, is God even real? If miracles aren't real, like did God really do this? Is there even a God? We've all heard these arguments. And here's what I would say. I am not in the least bit a science guy. Some of you are way more sciencey than I am. But from what I understand about science, which might be this much, a thimbleful, you cannot, by appealing to science, you cannot definitively prove that there is no God. You might have your research and your data and your hypothesis, and you might feel really strongly about it. But you cannot definitively prove by appealing to science that there is no God. 
and therefore you can't appeal to science and say there's definitely no such thing as miracles either. But people try to do that all the time. They say, if I don't understand it, if the formula doesn't add up, if the math isn't there, if the physics don't work, I don't believe it because I'm a realist. And they reject it because they don't understand it. And I'm saying that's super tragic. That's super actually narrow-minded because what we're saying when we say that is if, if I don't understand it, if I can't make sense of it in my mind, it must not be true. And here's what I'm saying. When did the metric of truth become your understanding of it? When, when did we decide something's either true or false based on my interpretation of it or my understanding of it? That's not how life works at all. Things happen around us all the time. If we're really honest with ourselves, things happen around us all the time in this world that people can't explain, that people can't just rationalize away by some theory and some textbook. So I think we're at a point where it's time to consider like, oh, maybe it's not all about me understanding every little thing that happened. And maybe it's time for me to consider trusting something is out there that's bigger than I am. That's just a big fundamental shift in people's minds that needs to happen. And I'll be honest again, I don't have all the answers. Don't ask me or quiz me on how Jesus walked on the water. Like scientifically, I have no idea. I don't know how he teleported, but I wish, he, I wish I did. But the point is this. What I do know is that the Bible says there is a God. Can we just establish that this morning? There is a God. And the Bible says that this God is many things, among which it says that God is omniscient. Somebody say omniscient. That means he's all-knowing and he's all-seeing. He just knows and sees it all. It says in Psalm 33, the Lord looks down from his habitation and he looks upon the children of man and all the works of mankind. He sees it all. The Bible says that God is omnipresent. Say omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all at once. He's just everywhere. It says in Jeremiah 23 verse 24 that God fills heaven and earth. He just fills it. He's that big. He's that vast. And more to the point of what we're reading in John 6 today, the Bible says that God is omnipotent. Say omnipotent. That means that he is all powerful. He can do anything. It says in Matthew 19, 26, that with God, all things, how many things? All things are possible. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter one that I really like. It says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Oh, you know, just a little thing like that. God is able to do all things. And this God of the Bible rules over creation. You know why? Because it's his creation. He created it. He invented it. He designed it. He understands it. He rules over science. You know why? Because he invented science. We're just discovering things now like way later, but God designed it way long ago. The, the Bible says that this God is not defined by the same limitations and boundaries that we are. Like he's not held down by gravity. He's not limited to physical time like we are. He's not limited by things like fatigue or hunger or thirst or mortality. And the Bible says that this God not only created it all and is over it all, but it says that he actively moves and speaks and works and acts and does things in his creation. He's not just distant off on the sidebar somewhere. God moves in the world. God speaks to people. God acts. God is still alive and well and moving today. Do you believe that? 
Good. So the, the point is this. All this miracle stuff, this text, you could even just flash that back up on the screen if you don't mind. You can even leave it there. This text right here on the screen is either not true, this just didn't happen, this is some made-up story, or things are happening here that only God could do. And we might not understand how he's doing them. We not be able to rationalize and wrap our heads around it all, but God is at work. And you'll notice that these things happening that only God can do, they're happening at the hand of Jesus. So what that's telling us is, oh, Jesus is doing things only God can do. That probably means I should pay attention to who he is, pay attention to what he's saying. He is important, he is significant. That's actually the entire point of the Gospel of John. It's that we would regard and look to and pursue Jesus. That's actually the point of the whole Bible. Apparently, it's all summed up in those six verses in John 6. But there it is right there. So we need to orient our hearts this morning to Jesus. Who is he? What is he like? What does he do? What does he want for me? What does he think about me? And that's going to kind of set the stage for going into the kind of second part of this message today. We're going to read that scripture again. And like I said earlier, God has a word for us today of encouragement in this. So let's just, let's read it again together. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, excuse me, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. That last verse just gets cooler every time I read it, but that's not the direction we're going, that's okay. Here's, the, here's, if you have a pen and paper, I want you to write this down or put it in your phone today, okay? This is what the Lord kind of gave us for this week. Here's the gist of what we're going to talk about. God is great and good even in our storms, okay? I'm going to say that again. God is great. Actually, I want you to repeat after me. God is great, God is great. And, good, and good even in our storms, That's all through this text. So this whole thing here is happening at sea. They got into a boat, they're rowing out in the sea and a storm rises up. It says the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. I'd call that a storm. It might not be like a torrential rain or a typhoon or a hurricane or whatever, but that's a storm. And we know what storms are like. I'm not just talking about weather storms, though we've been there seems like this whole week was a storm. Not a real bad one, just annoying enough and rainy enough and cold enough. We've all been in that storm. But there's storms. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There are storms that happen in our lives, additionally to weather storms too. The storms of life. You guys know exactly what those are. I would suggest that some of you are probably in a storm right now today. If you're not, I don't want to like be a pessimist or burst your bubble. The way life is, you'll probably be in one again before long. So just buckle up for it, okay? 
Storms are those situations where things are difficult. There's some kind of pain point in our lives. Something isn't going well. Something isn't going the way we hoped. We're unwell. Things aren't quite right. Things are stressful. Things are chaotic. Things are beating down upon us. There's uncertainty. Something's keeping you up at night. Something's a thorn in your side, causing you grief. Those are storms. And these guys were in one. Matter of fact, it says it was dark out. You guys know what it's like to be in that kind of phase of darkness. I'm not just talking physical darkness, but when you are in the physical darkness, you can't see what's going on around you, right? You can't make out your surroundings. You can't tell what's going on. You're not sure how to proceed and step forward because your visibility is right here like this. So that's how it is in our storms a lot of the time, isn't it? We don't know what to do. We don't know how to react. We don't know where to step because it's just chaotic, crazy, dark all around us. These storms of life, we can end up in those for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes we end up in a storm in life because we sin. Sometimes it's because you made some foolish decision. I've never done this, but maybe you have. You make a foolish decision and you got to face the consequences, right? That can bring on storms. Sometimes, though, I would submit this to you. Sometimes you can be in a storm because it's God's will. Which you say, well, that doesn't sound like God. Isn't he like nice and loving and he's my joy? We sang about that. Why would he put me in a storm? Well, I'll remind you what we said last week. Sometimes God tests us. And the test isn't to make you miserable. The test is to build you up. It's to give you an opportunity to trust in Jesus more. It's an opportunity to grow and stretch you and make you more Christ-like. And sometimes... These tests, these storms happen because it's God's will. That's what's happening here. Although it doesn't explicitly say it in this John section, this account of Jesus walking on the water is in other gospels as well. And in the gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 45, it explicitly says, Jesus told his disciples, go into a boat, row out into the sea, and go to the other side. He told them specifically to do that. And so notice then what happens. Jesus instructed them to do something. They did it. They listened. They didn't, they didn't miss any of it. They listened and obeyed. And as a direct result, they ended up in a storm. You say, what gives, Lord? That doesn't sound very nice. Again, it's to grow you. It's to stretch you. It's to develop your character. It's to give you endurance. It's to help you trust more. Don't answer this out loud. What's your storm this morning? I'm sure the vast majority of us could point to something in our lives. It might be a little storm. It might be a medium storm. It might be a big old storm. But they're storms nonetheless. Maybe you know how or why you ended up in that storm. Yeah, I did this dumb thing, and as a result, here's where I am. We're just working through that. Maybe you have no idea why you're in the storm you're in right now. No idea. And maybe your mind has gone to the point of asking God, what happened? What did I do wrong? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you've actually done everything the Lord is asking you to do, but that storm is part of his will for you. The question is not necessarily, why am I in this storm? That can be helpful, especially when we've done something dumb. It's helpful to reflect on that. But I think a better question is, 
How am I supposed to respond to being in this storm? Now that I'm in it, Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to move forward? So we're going to see that as we continue on through this. The disciples were in a storm. And in verse 19, it says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, the Sea of Galilee, where they were at its very widest, is about seven miles wide. Three or four miles? I'm not a smart man. That's about half of seven. So they, in other words, are right in the middle of the sea, right in the middle of the lake at that point. And that's where their storm is at its worst. That's where this all goes down. They were not, like at the beginning, near the, front, the, the start of the lake. If it was me, and I had just gone like 100 feet from the shore, and I see a storm, I'd say, oh, we're just here at the beginning. Let's just pull her back in. Never mind. They couldn't do that. They were in the middle. There was no turning back. They were also not all that close to the end. You know how human effort is? If you're like almost to the end of something, you might be able to just dig deep and reach back and really go for it. Let's go, boys. We're almost there. Let's go. Am I rowing? Like what? <laughs> anyway, you know how it is though. You just grind it out right at the end. They couldn't do that either. They weren't close to the end. Some of you guys in your storm this morning right now, you're in the very middle of it. You say, there's no turning back now. Can't go back there. I'm in this. And the end is not even in sight. It's just darkness. You can't see it. And in that place, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of their storm, they had rowed three or four miles and they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. That right there is super encouraging and should be super encouraging for us. And I'll tell you why. Remember we said earlier that God is great and good even in our storms? That's what that is right there. And I'll explain. You can see his greatness on display there. He's walking on the sea. That's pretty great if you ask me. He's literally walking on the water. He's over the storm. He is more powerful. He's not sinking or drowning or struggling at all. He's just walking on the sea. That's good news for us because it's a reminder that Jesus is greater than the storm. What I would say to you, my friends, listen to me very carefully. Jesus is greater than your storm. I will say it again in hopes that it will sink in. Jesus is greater than your storm. You say, but Braden, you don't know my storm. I don't know your storm, but I know my Savior. He is greater than the storm that you are facing, sitting right here, right now, today, going through it. Jesus is greater. We also see his goodness on display in verse 19. See, Jesus wasn't just walking on the water, like here's the boys in the boat over here and Jesus is over there like doing his own thing. What does it say he was doing? He was coming, coming near the boat. He's going toward them. And I think that speaks so much of the heart and the goodness of God. Even when you are in a storm, God's heart for you is that he wants to walk toward you and walk with you. That's, that's all through the scriptures. You'll remember Jesus said, Matthew 28, 20, surely I am with you always. How often? Always, even to the end of the age. 
In another place, God says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41.10 says, be not dismayed for I am your God. I am with you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. I will say this to you as well, friends. Not only is Jesus greater than your storm, listen now, Jesus is with you in your storm. Jesus is with you in your storm. And see, if he were only great or good, wouldn't be all that helpful for us, right? If Jesus was only great but not good, oh, Lord, I'm in this storm and you're greater than it. Oh, oh, you don't actually care about me. That's too bad. You might actually like really cause harm to me in this. Well, that's awful. I mean, you're powerful, but it doesn't do me any good. Conversely, if God was only good but not great, Oh, Lord, I'm in a storm, and you're here with me. Thank you so much. Oh, you can't do anything about it. Well, that's unfortunate. I guess you're just here with me. Do I have to, like, drag you along? Like, what's going on? No, he's both. Right in the storm, God is great and good. Yes, even in your storm that you're going through right now, that thing that's wrestling through your mind right now, he is good and great even in your storm. Can we just agree on that in the house of the Lord today? good. And the interesting thing is too, it doesn't mean your storm is going to magically go away. Yeah, he gets his disciples through the storm. He gets them where they need to go. But where does that say in there that the storm ever ended? Well, I assume it ended sometime, but it doesn't say that. We can't view God like he's just the genie. We snap our fingers. Okay, Lord, here, come make my storm better. Let's go. No, he might not. He might. He can. He could. But he might not. But that isn't even really the point. The point is that Jesus is with you regardless of what you face, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of your struggle. He is great and good in the midst of that storm. And in response to this revelation of Jesus, they were frightened. I would like to think I'd do something different. I don't know if I would. They were frightened. I I suspect the odds were stacked against them a little bit there. Like it was kind of a frightening situation. I'd probably be freaking out if I was in a boat in a storm. I don't think I'd handle that well. I don't swim very well, so it would not be a good scene for me. Knuckles are probably a little bit white. And then there's someone like, oh, like walking on the water. Okay, that would probably maybe freak me out. But I think additionally to that, if we're being honest, you guys know what this is like. If you're anything like me, sometimes you're in a storm and you're freaking out. Does that minister to anybody? You're just freaking out. And sometimes God will actually show up in your storm to give you what you need, but you're just so freaked out, you don't even realize it's him. Ah, it's just gonna hurt me. Ah. We need to learn to see God in it. That made me think this week of a time when I was a kid where I think we were biking around in the driveway and I had a spill on my bike. Down I went onto the ground and I cut my knee, bloodied my knee up pretty good. And I remember, this isn't supposed to be graphic. It's not really. Um, sometimes when you fall in the dirt, you might get a little like pebble or something like in your cut or whatever. I had that. And when I saw it, I freaked out. It was the end of the world. It's now upon me, Okay. And so one of my parents ran out and they were assessing the situation. They determined my wound was not fatal. I would probably live. But when they started to like clean it up and try to like get the little pebble out, I freaked out even more. 
even though that was exactly what I needed in that moment, I couldn't see it. Sometimes we're like that in our storms, right? At least I am. But Jesus has grace for us even when we don't really see what he's doing. We don't really catch it, kind of like the disciples here. Notice what he says. They, they were frightened, they were freaked out, but he said to them, it is I, do not be, what? Afraid. I think that kind of gets right into the human element of our storms right there. They often bring about a sense of fear in us. You guys ever been afraid in one of your storms before? No, okay, just me. You guys know what fear is, okay? You're smart people. We've all lived through it. But I looked up the definition of fear on the internet this week. It's an unpleasant, strong emotion caused by the anticipation of danger or pain. This sense comes over me. Something bad's going to happen. This isn't going to work out for me. This is going to hurt. This is going to cost me. I don't know what's going to become of me. Am I going to be all right? We start to fear, worry, get anxious about these things. And fear is so damaging because it actually causes us to freeze. It causes us to doubt and worry and flee and cower and back away, maybe go in the fetal position. And none of those things are good for us. And you say, well, Braden, but you don't know my storm. You don't know my fear. I should be afraid of it. Well, listen, sometimes our fears might appear rational. You might have talked yourself into it for this very good reason. Sometimes, if we're being honest, though, our fears are completely irrational. I'm not even talking like on a scripture level. I just mean logically. It doesn't make any sense. Give you an example from my life. Again, when I was a kid, I was terrified of slugs. I was. And uh, that lasted for quite a few years. I still don't like slugs. Don't like, don't come find me if you like see one in the parking lot. I, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't want it. But I used to be like run the other way scared of slugs when I was little. Like there's a slug, I'm gone. And uh, I mean, that was justified because they're big and they're fast and they're vicious and they are carnivores and they have sharp teeth. Obviously, it was ridiculous. But there it was in me. Thank you for laughing at me. That's cathartic. I needed that. You ministered to me today. Listen to me. Regardless of what your fear is or how you've gotten to that point or how you've talked yourself into it, fear is not from God. Fear is not of the Lord, from the Lord, part of the Lord's will for your life. Not any fear. I don't care how convinced you are, you need to be afraid. It's not from God. It says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love, and there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. So we're like the opposite of fear. It's gone. It's cast out. This is why that's really the first thing that Jesus said to them. It wasn't, hey, boys. How about the weather tonight? Where are you going? Can I come? It's do not be afraid because that is so damaging to us. It's not his will for us to go like that because what fear really is, fear is really calling into question the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God and the greatness of God, which we've already established 
He's both of those things. He's great and he's good. But when we fear, when we doubt, when we worry, when we're anxious, it's, oh, God, and what you're really saying, even if you're not consciously saying it, what you're really saying deep down is, God, I'm not sure that you're going to get me through this. I'm not sure you're able to. I'm not sure you want to. We're not called to live in fear. We're called to walk by faith. Big, big difference. Furthermore, as Christians, we have not been given a spirit of fear. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, we've been given the opposite of that. We've been given a spirit that would be the Holy Spirit of power and love and self-control. Where's the word fear in there? It's not there. God does not want you to fear. I'll give you four quick facts about fear because my fear of slugs made me an expert on it. Number one, fear will not get you out of the storm you're in. Not gonna happen. Again, that's not what happened here. Look, it doesn't say they were frightened so Jesus caused the storm to end. No, it doesn't say that. Fear and worry and freaking out and being anxious will actually do you no earthly good. It will not change your situation at all. In fact, what it will do is it will make you weaker. Second thing is this. Fear will not prevent a storm from happening in the future. Even if you're not in one right now, worrying about it, fretting about, oh, this might happen. Probably not gonna prevent it from happening if it happens. You know what I mean? Because we're not in control in this life, friends. Do you know that you're not in control today? You might have a little bit of control over certain things, but really you don't have very much just to burst your bubble on that. And the way that life is, the reason uh, it's because there's sin in the world, the reason that life is difficult for all of us, there's no immunity to it, there's no escaping it, it's because the world is broken. It happens to all of us. And fear will not prevent a storm from happening in the future. Number three, as I started to say earlier, fear will make you weaker, not stronger. I think sometimes... When we're in that place of fear, we say, this is the bodily instinct to say, if I just give in, if I just, if I just really dive into that, if I really lean into that fear, it's going to help me somehow. Eh. It's not. It's not going to help you at all. The fear is going to make you weak. It's going to make you sick. It's going to make you cower. It's going to make you freeze. You're just going to be really ineffective. And, and, and it's tragic because people, believers all over the place, get derailed and sidelined off of God's will for their life because it's just, oh, I'm, I'm too afraid to move forward. Fear's not gonna help you. It's gonna make you weaker. And, and number four, right on that, fear is gonna lead you further from God, not closer to God. It's not gonna produce something in you that draws you closer to God. If you camp out in fear, what you're gonna do is you're gonna shrink back in shame. It's not gonna work out for you. So fear is not part of God's will for us. And the cool thing is he tells us exactly why it's not part of his will for us here. It's not suck it up, Braden. Don't be afraid. Let's just get on with it. No, no, no. Our reason to not be afraid has actually nothing to do with you. It's don't be afraid because you're strong, you're smart, you have resources, you have money, you have security, you have experience. No. The reason we are called to not fear, it's right in verse 20. He says, what's his reason? He says, do not be afraid because it is I. It is I. Scholars and commentators have noted that phrasing, it is I, it's very, very similar to another similar phrase all through the scriptures, I am. 
I am is all through the scriptures. Jesus is about to start making a whole bunch of I am statements. Those are statements of God. I am is God's covenantal name that he uses for his people, his children. That's how he reveals and, and communicates himself to us. You remember in Exodus chapter three, Moses and the burning bush, Moses and God are hanging out. And at the end of the chat, Moses says, oh, who am I supposed to say sent me? Who am I supposed to tell them I was talking to? And God says, tell them I am who I am. This is language for God right here. Do not be afraid for it is I. Do not be afraid, for I am. God is here. And that is the reason we're called to not fear. So quite literally, you can see it right here. If you, in any capacity in your life today, are walking in fear, living in fear, camping out in fear, you're just worried, panicking, the answer, the antidote is quite literally, you need to look to Jesus. And that's just not some just religious jargon. I'm telling you, you've got to really seek the Lord Jesus. You've got to pursue him. The Bible says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. If you've got fear in your life, my advice to you is get on your knees before God and ask for his help because he is what pushes out fear. This, this world is so crazy. I can say with certainty, I do not have within myself the confidence to walk without fear because there's just too much. What if, what if, what if? But Jesus Christ is our confidence, people. Would you agree? I would say this too. I mean, that is literally the most important sentence, verse 20, in this whole text. Your storm, you're thinking of your storm this morning that you're in, your storm does not define you. I just wanna speak that over you today. Your storm does not define you. It is not the central, most important, biggest thing in your life. Listen to me. If you are a Christian, you are defined by Jesus Christ. It's not the storm. It's not the uncertainty. It's not the trouble. It's him. He is the most important thing about you. And I will remind you again, friends, he is great and good in the midst of your storm. The storm might not go away like we've talked about. But Jesus will be with you in it if you seek him. Jesus will do a work in you even in the storm. He'll produce good things in you. You'll find that he is faithful. He will get you through the storm, whatever it is. And I would submit this to you as well. I know it's human instinct to try to avoid the pain, avoid the storm. I'd rather just not have it. But sometimes, friends, and I think you'll know this is true, sometimes the greatest stretches of growth in our lives, growth in our walk, growth in our faith, development in our character, sometimes the greatest stretches of that come through the storm. See, when we're storm-free, we're likely to just be comfortable and coast that's how I am, just to be honest with you. But in the storm, really good things can be produced that would not probably be possible if you didn't go through the storm. So we need to stop necessarily just looking at the, our situations and saying, everything's so bad because of my storm. No, let's remember, we belong to Jesus and he is great and good. That makes all the difference. It's a total change in perspective. And I wanna end with the last verse here kind of our response to this. 
we can see what the disciples did. Different times in the gospel of John, the disciples are given an opportunity to respond and they totally blow it. Here they get it right. Verse 21 says, then, only then, after they had seen the revelation of Jesus, after they had seen this is God, he is for me, he is great, he is good, don't be afraid because he's here. Only then, they were glad to take him into the boat. The light bulb came on for them. They understood who he was and they responded by letting him in welcoming him in, inviting him in. Do you know what that's code for? That's code for surrender. Hey, I'm giving up trying to do this on my own, Jesus. Please come, please come in. Please come into my situation. Jesus is inviting us the very same today. Again, I don't don't know your storm. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning. Jesus is quite literally inviting you to let him into your boat. That sounds cheesy, but that's where it is. Into your life, into this journey, into your circumstance. I would say this, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, in addition to whatever storms are going on in your life, you're in a different storm as well. And that storm is being offside with God. You see, we're all sinners, are we not? We're all sinners. And we have sinned and put ourselves offside with God and rebelled against him, and that has separated ourselves from him. And the Bible says that the wages of sin, the price of sin is death. We've all sinned, and there's a penalty that must be paid for it. And if you have not ever received, accepted, surrendered, been saved by Jesus... You're in the path of God's wrath, that sin. You're in a place where you are going to be left at the end of your life to pay for your sins all unto your own. And that is not a good place to be in. But here's the good news. God loves you. God is for you. God sent his very best, his only son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to die in your place to pay for your sins. So we don't have to pay for them ourselves. We don't have to be crushed under that debt, that weight, that penalty of sin. Jesus died on the cross to pay it for you so that you can be set free, so that you don't have to pay, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have new life. So he's calling you today, if you're not a Christian, let him in to your story. Surrender your life to Jesus. If you wanna know more about that, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. Most of us in the room are Christians. The invitation is the very same, slightly different application. As a Christian, you don't have to get saved again, no. But, don't answer this out loud, what areas as a believer are you resisting the Lord? What areas are you not letting him in? What areas are you rebelling or trying to keep him out or trying to keep him distant? We all do it. Don't look around and say, yeah, which of you people is doing that? We all do it, every one of us. He's calling us to let him in, into all things, And look, just take baby steps. Trust him a little bit more. Talk to him. Pray to him. We'd love to pray with you later. We'll be hanging around after the service. We can pray together. That'd be great. The point is this, though. When you trust in Jesus, not only do you not have to be afraid, he's going to get you where you need to go. You might not teleport. If you do, please call me right away. 
I want to be the first to hear about it. No, listen. He might not take the storm away, but Jesus is faithful and he's going to get you where you need to go. He's going to carry you through all through this life, all through your storms, all through your circumstances. He's going to uphold you by his righteous right hand and his faithfulness. And he's going to carry you through all the way through to that day when as believers, we get to go and be with him in a place where all is new, where there are no more storms, where all is made well, where all is perfect. What a day that will be. But until then, friends, we have to choose to trust. We have to choose to surrender. We have to choose to let him in.